0: I'd like to invite you to take your Bible and open, if you would, to the book of Revelation. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, it is the very, very last book of the Bible. And boy, I'll tell you, this has been quite a week to uh, make an introduction for this book of the Bible in light of some of the things that are going on all around us. I don't know if you've noticed some of the time magazines lately and for you folks who are guests don't worry we're not going to be preaching from these i'm just i know that a lot of times in churches today what happens is you go to church and we never get around to god's book you're getting you know nice little poems and stories from books and articles from papers and magazines and that kind of thing i'm just wanting to show you that the very things that are the hot topics you see magazines like time they always they're wanting to sell magazines and so what they do is they pull out what they consider to be a hot topic, something that is going to cause you when you go to Bueller's or wherever it is that you shop and you're at that checkout line, you're going to look at that and want to buy it based on what's on the cover. And it has just been incredible, the things that are on the cover. It's been things like, does, does heaven exist? Have you guys seen this? I mean, here's this guy up on this, this cloud, and here's the big question. I, I, in fact, I was on vacation this last week. I was down in a Seven Eleven and I was buying a pop and there was a cop next to me and he grabbed the magazine and said, does heaven exist? Well, how about that? And, you know, I mean, it, it, it was making him pick the thing up and look at the thing. Uh, the other one is, is talking about uh, God answering prayer. Now, folks, I'm talking, we're talking a, a secular world and they're wanting to know questions like this. Does heaven really exist? Does God Really, answer prayer, and then this one is going to be real interesting. We won't get into all of this today, but the the, the title of this one is "Will there be another you uh, i i don't know if that was supposed to be a pun there or not it has got some U's on there' some sheeps uh th- that are there, and it's all about the whole deal of cloning and and we, we will get in this down the road in the book of revelation, but I'm just telling you folks. What that does with this whole arena of this cloning thing is it opens up a door for something that took place in the Bible in Genesis chapter 6. And what Genesis chapter 6 is all about is the days of Noah and what it was that led to the flood. And the Bible says that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man when he comes back to this earth again. And we'll get into that down the road, but I'm just telling you, everywhere you turn, TV Guide this week, it was about God in Hollywood. I'm telling you, there, there, there's something that, that's going on all around us, and it all has to do really with a book that God has had in his Bible for over 1,900 years. And what we do in this, this church is we, we teach and we preach through books of the Bible in the past several years. We've been through the book of Colossians in the New Testament, the book of First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians. We've just completed a study on the book of Ruth. Uh, on Sunday nights, we just completed uh, a study of the book of Joshua. We'll be moving into the book of Judges. We believe that what this period of time needs more than anything else is they need a word from God. And so we faithfully, week after week, go to a book of the Bible, and we begin in verse chapter 1 and verse 1, And we go all the way through covering every single phrase, every single sentence, every single verse, every single word, and every single verse, so that when you're all said and done, you know what that book of the Bible is all about. Now, this morning, we are beginning a study of the book of Revelation. Now, you probably, many of you don't know me, you're not familiar with this church. If you did know me, you would not come to this service today expecting us to go all the way through the book of Revelation. Uh, In fact... The the events in the book of Revelation will no doubt be taking place before we finish this, this study. Um, we, I, I guarantee you, we will be in this study at least for uh, a year. But what I want to do today is, is I want to, to give you the big picture of what this book is really all about. Now, I'm, I'm telling you, we're biting off a, a real big one doing this on Easter Sunday. Because quite honestly... Not everybody in this room is somebody that is completely dialed in to really what the Bible is even all about. Now, I'm not saying that to to make anybody feel uncomfortable. I I remember, I I didn't grow up going to church, and the greatest fear that I had in going to church was that I was going to get there and somebody was going to ask me some question about the Bible because if there was anything in the world that I knew I knew nothing about, it was that book, and so I didn't want to look stupid. Listen. Nobody's going to ask you any questions today. You're not going to have to worry about looking stupid. Now, I, I, I can't do much about my face. I, I look stupid anyway. But, and, and some of you, listen, if you know something about the Bible, that's great. But let's, let's, let's kind of pull it all together here this morning. And let's just begin by making some basic ex- assumptions about how to understand the Bible. Now, when you came in this morning... One of the good-looking ushers that we had should have put a bulletin in your hand. If you would, take out uh, the the study sheet that uh, is in that bulletin. It'll help you a whole lot as we begin to go through this this service this morning, as we begin to introduce the book of of Revelation. Now, uh, again, we've got to begin somewhere. We've got to begin, if we're going to go to this book of the Bible, and get more than just man's opinion. Now, guys, you know what? I'll be honest with you. I know I don't have anything in this world to offer you. I don't have anything to give to you. As I already stated, what you need is you need to get what God wants you to hear. Now, if we're going to do that, there's some assumptions that we've got to to begin to get into our mind relative to the word of God. The Bible teaches the fact in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 20 or verse 26 it says this, listen very carefully. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image. Okay? Now if you just if you just start in the very first book of the Bible and you just opened there and you, you got to the twenty-sixth verse of that first chapter, you'd be uh, you'd be scratching your chin just a little bit, saying, What in the world is this? Let us make man in our image? And right from the very beginning of the Bible, God wants to let you know something about him. And that is that he is more than one. And that is clearly defined for us in the book of 1 John, chapter 5, and verse 7. It says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are, say it with me, one. And these three are one god says i want you to know something about me i'm more than one in fact i'm three i am three and yet i'm one and and look at the verse again it says for there are three that bear record in heaven the father and most of us when we've learned about the trinity in times past the next word is usually the father and the son right but you'll notice that what the scripture calls him here is the word Back in the Gospel of John, in chapter 1 and verse 1, it says this, In the beginning was the, say it, Word, and the Word was God, and the, wor- and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So what God is trying to let you know something about Him: He is comprised of three, and yet He's one, and part of what, who He is is the Word, and the Word has always been and the Word has always been God, and the Word has always been with God. And then John lets us know something in his Gospel in John chapter 1, and verse 14, that's very significant. It says this, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What it is saying, there came a point in time when the Word of God which had always been, took on a human form. He became flesh and dwelt among us. And look at letter A on your study sheet there. Write it this way. The incarnate Word, and then in parentheses, Jesus Christ is God's divine revelation of Himself. God wanted to reveal Himself to mankind. And so what the Word, which was God and is God and was with God, what the Word did is became flesh, came to this planet, and dwelt among us, John says, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God was wanting to let you know what he was like, and so he became a man. The Word of God became flesh. The word incarnate. Uh, most of you, if you if you like chili at all, you, you you order chili, and if you like it with meat, you order how chili, concarnate. Carne has to do with flesh, has to do with meat. The incarnate word is Jesus Christ. It is God in a human body, and the Bible says in Colossians chapter one and verse fifteen that Christ is the image of the. Invisible God. You can't see God, and so He became flesh so that you could. He is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 says this, speaking of Christ, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And what I'm trying to get you to see is that Jesus Christ is God. He is God who came to this planet in a human body, and he was the fullness of the Godhead. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the express image of his person. And I want you to notice this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. Look at it again. It says, In whom the God of this world, and that is Satan, the God of this world's system, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Listen, there are many of you that are in this room today, and you are not, as far as the Bible is concerned, a believer in Jesus Christ. Because when the Bible talks about a believer, it is not talking about somebody who has made an intellectual assent who believes that Jesus Christ is God. A believer in Jesus Christ is one who has put their full faith and trust in going to heaven, in, in their righteousness, not in themselves, but in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And what Satan wants to do, What this scripture says that he is bent on doing is seeking to blind the minds of every man on this planet so they will not have the light of the glorious gospel of Christ to shine unto them. Listen, I, I know that it sounds weird, but in this very room this morning, you can rest assured, That that is exactly what the God of this world, Satan, is going to want to do in your life. He's going to want to blind your mind. He's going to want to get you to the point, and many of you probably are already there, where I just can't, I just can't see it. I just can't see it. You know why you just can't see it? Satan has blinded the minds of your under your the mind of your understanding so that you cannot see it but the point i want you to see if we're going to understand the revelation of jesus christ which is what revelation chapter one and verse one has to say you need to understand something about who he is that he is the incarnate word he is god's revelation of the godhead to man notice the second thing on your study sheet letter b The written word, the written word, the Bible, is God's divine revelation of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ comes to this planet to reveal the Godhead to man. The Bible, the written word, is what God uses to reveal to us Jesus Christ. In Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 5, it says this, Then the Levites said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever, and blessed be thy glorious name. Now let me just stop right there for just a second and talk about a person's name. As you begin to go through the word of God, what you begin to find out is God is always talking about his name, his name, his name. Now listen, a person's name, when God is talking about his name, he is talking about the sum total Of all that He is, all of His attributes, all that comes together to make God who He is, that is His name. And the Levites, they they say here, stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever, and blessed be thy glorious name, now watch this, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You take the name of God, and God gave himself a wonderful name that name is jesus right we sang about that just a couple of minutes ago that name is jesus and he says that the name is exalted above all blessing and all praise you know what we find all kinds of things on this earth to praise and to bless and to give glory to i mean athletes and and entertainers and oh you know all of this and and what the word of god is saying is you take all of those, and Jesus Christ, the name, the the revelation of God Himself, He is above all of that, above all blessing and all praise. In Philippians chapter two, verses nine through eleven, it says, "Wherefore, God hath also hath highly exalted Him, and given Him a name which is above every name. At, at the name of Jesus." every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So God says, now listen, I want you to know something about my Son. He is exalted above all blessing and all praise. It is His name before which every knee, every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that name one of these days to the glory of the Father. In Acts chapter 4, in verse 12, it says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, I'm showing you these verses. I'm trying to get you to understand that the name of of God is highly significant. it is exalted above all blessing and all praise. It is that that name, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, it is that name and only that name whereby every single human being that graces this planet must call upon that name in order to be saved. I would say that the name of God is very significant, but I want you to see what the Scripture says in Psalm 138, and verse 2. It says, I will worship toward thy holy temple, and watch this, and praise thy name. I, I'm going I'm to come before you in your holy temple, and I'm going to praise the sum total of all that you are. Let's go on. For thy loving kindness, and for thy truth. Now watch this. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Now, are you checking that out? What God says to us is there is nothing on this planet that is more highly exalted than my name, the name of Jesus Christ. It is above all blessing and all praise. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that name. It's the only name given among men whereby we must be saved. And yet he says, but I've taken my word, the written revelation, and I have exalted it above my name. You say, what? How in the world can that be? You see, listen, the only way that you can ever know the name of God the only way that you can ever know the sum total of all that He is and all that He requires of us is through His written revelation to us. So you see, as we're beginning to study the revelation of Jesus Christ, we've got to begin to understand some things about who He is. He is the incarnate, say it with me, word, and the Bible is the written Word of God, and something about God. Remember, we talked about this a little bit earlier while we were singing. Is that God is a God of love. He, he, I know, you, I know, you've heard that. You know, you've read the bumper stickers, and you know, you've seen posters of it in the end zone and at basketball games and other sporting events. And you know, some people when they, they say goodbye to you, you know, hey, God loves you, and you know, we've heard all of that. But listen, I want you to know something. God loves you more than you could ever, ever, ever imagine, and He wants you to be able to understand the bible i i 've heard this, oh my goodness, I, I, there's no telling how many times I, i've heard this you know i i 've tried to read the Bible, but i i just I just can't seem to uh, to understand it. it. just you know I read it and it just doesn 't make a, a whole lot of sense Have you ever felt like that? But I want you to know something. The God of this universe wants you to be able to understand this book because the only way that you'll ever understand him is through this. It is through his book. And so I want to begin to give you this morning key principles that will help you to understand the Bible. Letter A, the first principle the first thing you really need to comprehend and understand is the fact that the Bible is not difficult to understand. It is not difficult to understand. We make it difficult by not really believing every word that we read. Now, I'll give you a second to fill out your study sheet, but I want you to think about that. The Bible is not difficult to understand. We make it difficult by not believing Every word that we read, you see, the the Bible begins to talk about things and and it it spells it all out. And what man is bent on doing is beginning to, uh, rather than to say, what does it say? And simply believing what it says, man always wants to come to the Bible and say, I wonder what that means. You know what? The Bible is a real simple book if you'll just go and believe what it says rather than trying to dig into that thing and figure out what it means. You know what it means? It means what it it says, and it says what it means. I mean, we've heard that kind of stuff all of our life. You know, let me just give you a little example of this. In in the Word of God, what it talks about is the fact that the nation of Israel would be in their homeland at the return of Jesus Christ to this planet. Now... In 70 A.D., Titus came in and absolutely leveled the nation of Israel. They were dispersed into all of the Gentile nations of the world. They were a people without a homeland, without anything to to, to rally them together. And as you begin to go through the centuries, what you'll find is, is men who had given their lives to studying this book, they had such a hard time figuring out how it would be that all of these centuries are clicking along and prophecies all along were being fulfilled and we were able to see all of those things and yet the nation of israel wasn't in the homeland and all of these events began to take place and nobody could quite figure out what it meant and so you know what scholars and and commentators began to to do when it came to the nation of israel being in the land in the last days at the return of jesus christ they began to spiritualize that thing and say well you know It really doesn't mean this. What it must mean is, and we begin to go into all these intricacies about what it must mean rather than just believing that somehow in the sovereignty of God, he was going to get the nation of Israel back into that land. And at the turn of this century, some things began to take place on this planet to get that Jew back in the land. And in 1948, they became a nation. Just like the Bible said, you didn't have to go figure out what it means. All you had to do was just believe what it says. And you see, when the Bible, when the Bible makes common sense, then take it for its literal sense and seek no other sense. You see, if the Bible you now, there's sometimes when. When God will be giving an illustration, and it's clear that He's making an illustration, so you don't want to go in and try to make that literal. But most of the time, 99 times out of 100, God is literally telling you about this, and all you've got to do is just simply believe what it says. So let's let's just go into this thing as we begin to study the Book of Revelation. Let's go with that in our minds, because I mean, there's going to be there's going to be all kinds of symbols and and all kinds of things that are going on here, and and you know. I wonder what that means. Well, what does that mean to you? Well, who cares what it means to you, right? The, the question is, what did God say? What does God mean by what he says? Okay, letter B. The second key principle that we all need to make sure that we understand is though the Bible is not difficult to understand, it must be approached biblically to be understood. It must be approached biblically To be understood in other words you can't just haul off and go at this thing and say well you know i think this is the way that i want to come at it god has laid out for us in the bible very clear principles to help us to know exactly how to approach it and to approach it biblically the first place is in first corinthians first corinthians chapter uh chapter two 1 Corinthians chapter two. Yeah, we're going to have to skip. If you just scroll through there, First Corinthians chapter two, and let's pick up together in verse verse nine. It says this: "But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared." For them that love him. Now, most of the time when you hear this verse mentioned by somebody who is a Christian, what you're going to hear, the, the things that will follow is, Oh, folks, heaven is such a wonderful thing and such a wonderful place that eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither is entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. And, and, and you know what? That, that's, that's true. The only problem is 1 Corinthians chapter 2 isn't talking about heaven what first corinthians chapter two in that whole chapter what it's talking about is the wisdom of god opposed to the wisdom of men and what he is saying in that context is human eyes can't see the truth of this word and human minds can't conceive it and human ears cannot conceive that truth but look at the next verse verse 10 But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. And this is letter A, a small letter A on your outline. The Bible must be revealed by the Spirit of God. What God is saying here is you can't see this thing humanly, but the Spirit of God will reveal the truth of this book to you, and let's continue on. Look in verse twelve. He says, "Nor have, nor we have, have we received. Uh, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual." God is saying, "Listen." You can't know this book. This book has to be revealed to you. This book will be revealed to you by the Spirit of God. And then letter B, small letter B on your outline. The Spirit of God reveals the Word of God as we compare Scripture with Scripture. That is that which is spiritual. We compare things spiritual with things spiritual. And what God is saying to us is that the way that He is going to reveal His truth to you is by the Spirit of God and the way the Spirit of God is going to do it is not through you know osmosis. It's not going to be through some mystical deal. There I was, man. And the Spirit of God just started putting all kind of truth into my head. What He said is going to happen is the Spirit of God will reveal the truth of the Word of God to you as you compare things spiritual with things spiritual. In other words... God is going to give his own definitions. God is going to give his own explanations in the word of God. And those will be revealed to you as you compare similar things in the Bible. For example, if you want to know uh, about prayer. Well, you don't just haul off and go to one particular passage. You can use one particular passage. But to really understand the concept of prayer, you go to all the other places where God talks about prayer. And they form a composite and what the spirit of god does you diligently begin to compare things spiritual with things spiritual comparing scripture with scripture is he begins to reveal his truth to you let me let me show you something here go over to the book of revelation many of you probably already there because you've been reading the verses up on the screen but you know people come to the book of revelation and they start getting all freaked out because you know they'll you know john will see this and he'll he'll see that and and they begin to say, "Wow, I don't know what in the world that must mean. Look at verse uh, chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1, look at verse 12. He says, and I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, drop down to verse 16, and he had in his right hand Seven stars. Now, very typically, what happens in the, the age that we're living in is people will sit around and they'll have what it's called a, a Bible study, you know. And they'll come through all of this and, and you know, they'll read that passage and, and say something like, now, now Bob, what, what do you think the seven ca- golden candlesticks uh, mean? And what do you think those seven stars are? And so Bob will go off on some kind of a tangent about what he thinks all of those things mean. Let, let me just show you. The Bible is a self-defining book. The Bible is a self-explaining book. It's really not that difficult. Look at verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. You see, it's not really that difficult. Now, when we get to this, we'll explain you know, further because we'll be able to compare Scripture with Scripture. I'm just trying to show you that the Bible is relatively an easy book to understand, but you've got to approach it biblically. You've got to understand you'll never know this book by yourself without the Spirit of God, and you'll never know this book unless the Spirit of God leads you as you compare Scripture with Scripture, and there's a very systematic way of doing that. But, verse 14 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I want, I want to call your attention to this verse because this is so important as we move into this study. The verse says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. God is saying to you, I want you to be able to understand my book. And I've laid it out in such a fashion to where you can understand it, but the Spirit of God has got to reveal it to you. And He'll reveal it to you as you compare Scripture with Scripture. But, understand this, the natural man can't come to this book and get it because it is spiritually discerned. Let me tell you what a natural man is. A natural man is somebody who was born into this world as a human being, a a body, a, a, a spirit, and a soul that will live forever someday. But the Bible teaches that every single one of us, when we were born into this world, We were born spiritually dead. And you see, that's why when Jesus Christ came to this planet, he said, except a person is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. In other words, unless your spirit is born again and comes to life, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I recognize that that term born again is something that gets thrown around a lot. Many of you probably even thought that the term born again was a marketing term used by Christians to try to get them to do some kind of religious thing. It is a religious term that Jesus used. It is not a man-made term. It is a term that Jesus Christ used when he came to this planet, and he said that unless you come to the place in your life where you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. And you've got to understand, you're gonna, you're gonna. There's some things that you'll be able to understand about the Word of God, but you'll never really understand the truth of God and have it revealed to you until you come to the place in, in, in this life and in your earthly body to where you are something more than just a natural person. You need to have something supernatural take place in you, and that takes place when you call upon the name of Jesus Christ to save you, what happens is He, by His Spirit, moves inside of you. When the Spirit of God moves inside of you, He begins to take this truth and He begins to teach you the Word of God. So that is very important that you understand that's the way the truth of God is going to be revealed to you by the Spirit of God and as the Spirit of God lives inside of you. There's another principle, another key principle that you need to understand concerning the Word of God. And that is 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. And the verse says this: Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. Now just real quickly, let's let's make some negative observations about this verse. First of all, notice that it is possible to be disapproved when it comes to the word of God. What he is doing is he is telling us something here about how we can be approved of God, which must mean that it is possible that we can be disapproved of God. Number two, it is possible to be ashamed before God when it comes to his word. Now, there's a lot of people that, man, I mean, they spend a lot of time in the Bible. And don't be intimidated just because somebody spends a lot of time in the Bible. If you don't approach the word of God biblically the way that God says it, you can get yourself in a whole heap of trouble. You can be ashamed even spending a lifetime in the Word of God. Number three, it is possible to wrongly divide the Word of God. I mean, if he's telling us th- this so that we can rightly divide it, it must be possible then to wrongly divide the Word of God. And there are people all over this planet who do make wrong divisions. Number one, if you make no divisions, you are not going to rightly divide it. It will be wrong. There's a lot of people say, well, no, I don't, I don't go with all of that, that the, there's divisions in the Word of God. God made it so simple for you. It, you know what What He did is He He made a division in your Bible. you got your Old Testament and, what? and, and your New Testament. You know what God did? He divided the Word of God for you. That, that's just a, a simple example. Then, then there's other people. They wrongly divide it because they make their own divisions they just arbitrarily say well i think there's a division right here and all that and what you've got to see is there is a way to rightly divide it let's look at the positive observations number one to be approved of god and to not be ashamed requires and it's oh this is a heavy heavy word it's it's a terrible thing it requires study god says study to show thyself approved unto god number two to be approved of God and not be ashamed requires, and here's another one, uh, it's so tough, it requires work. He says you need to be a workman. You're going to have to put forth a little bit of effort when it comes to the same. It's not that difficult, but just like you do with anything else in life, you've got to work at it. You've got to apply the principles, and it's going to take work. It's going to take study. Number three, to be approved of God and not, ashamed, not uh, be ashamed requires making right Divisions. Making right divisions. And this is what you need to understand about this. If you're going to rightly divide the word of truth, you need to make the same divisions that God makes. Now listen, if you'll study, if you'll be a workman, it will become very obvious to you where God has made those divisions. Now what I want to do is take those assumptions that we've talked about. I want to take those principles, and now let's begin to put them to work with the, the book of Revelation. Let's talk about the keys to rightly dividing Revelation. There are, And you can go there in your Bible, Revelation, in the book of Revelation. And I don't know how familiar you are with this book already, but the book of Revelation has... 22 chapters and i've got some young people that i've asked to help me this morning because i want to uh, illustrate this this principle for you it's real simple but boy i think if you'll be able to see this in your mind it'll be uh, something that it'll just make a whole lot of sense to you when it comes to rightly dividing the book of revelation so young people if you would take your places here each one of these young people represent the chapters that are found in the book of revelation 22 chapters does everybody have their, their chapter up there the, the right way <laughs> you never know okay the, 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 there's 22 chapters in the book of revelation okay there's something that takes place in the book of revelation that makes this book simple understand it guys if you could hold those up about right under your neck most of the people that are in the back will probably be able to see those just up right yeah right in there i like that okay there's something that takes place two times in the book of revelation where i, I once you see this this book is really i know the book of revelation seems like an intimidating book once i show you this you you won't need me I'm telling you it, it's just it's just simple something happens two times in the book Heaven opens two times in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, heaven opens and somebody goes up. In Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11, heaven opens and somebody comes down. Okay? Now watch watch what happens with this thing. Okay? Heaven opens, and somebody goes up right here. What you'll find in Revelation chapter 4, in fact, you can even be going over there, what you'll find in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 is that there is a voice, there is a trumpet, heaven opens, and somebody is caught up. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, is that right? A voice, a trumpet, heaven opening, and somebody coming up the book of First Thessalonians, chapter 4. And here's comparing Scripture with Scripture. First Thessalonians, chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. You know what it talks about? It talks about the event that is called the rapture. And you know what happens at the rapture in First Thessalonians, chapter 4, verses 13 through 18? There is a voice, there is a trumpet, heaven opens, and somebody comes up. And so you see, what you've got right there in the book of Revelation is God is setting that thing for you. He is showing you, here is the rapture of the church in the book of Revelation. Now, in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11, somebody comes down, okay? And he is riding a white horse, and he opens his mouth, and a sword comes out. And the Bible says that the sword is the word of God. We've we've already talked about the word of God today, haven't we? By comparing Scripture with Scripture, we know who that is. It's Jesus Christ coming out of heaven. It is the time of his second Coming. Okay, now let's just make sure. I know that some of you know this. Many of you probably don't really fully understand what those events are all about. Let's just talk about the rapture for a second. The rapture is when Jesus Christ comes in the clouds for his saints. Okay, now this is very important. It's on your study sheet. The rapture is when Jesus Christ comes in the clouds for his saints. It's the event that we are anticipating on this planet right now jesus christ at the rapture of the church is not going to come physically and bodily to this earth at this point he is going to come in the clouds and the bible says that he is going to catch away those that are on this planet that know him as their personal lord and savior so jesus christ comes at the rapture in the clouds for his saints it ends the church age we are presently living in The church age, that event will end the church age and it will usher in the tribulation period. The tribulation period is a period of time that lasts for seven years. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 21 that it would be a time such as not since the beginning of the world nor ever shall be. It is a time where his judgment is poured out on this earth for a period of seven years. That's the rapture of the church. The second coming is the time when Jesus Christ comes to the earth with his saints. Okay, The saints are caught up over here at Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. In, sec- in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11, heaven opens and here comes Jesus Christ and following behind are all of the people who in this life knew Jesus Christ and they are coming back to this planet and it ends the tribulation period, and it ushers in the millennium. Okay, the millennium is it comes from two words: milli, meaning thousand, and annum, meaning year. It's a thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ on this planet. Okay, now watch what happens here. Watch how this divides the book of Revelation. And you see, if you've studied the book of Revelation and you've read it, and you've read it, I mean, you've worked at it, you've been a workman, you know, you'd be reading through that book, and what you'd say is, you know what? Two times that took place in the Bible, in the the book of Revelation, two times heaven opens. Now now watch how this divides it. You guys, why don't you step right right up here. We wanted to go one more step there, okay? Why don't you hold those up just a little bit higher, guys? And... Chapter 20. Why don't you guys get on up there to that, that second step? What this does, when you see those two events that, that open, what it does is it divides the book of Revelation for you into three sections. What you've got is Revelation chapter 1 through 3, Revelation chapter 4 through 19, and Revelation chapter 20 through 22. Okay? Now, I, I want you to see this, okay? Now, when god now th- those two events take place it divides that book into three sections but what's interesting and you guys j- just stay there i got to get by my bible in genesis chapter or revelation chapter one and look at uh, verse 19. when john receives the revelation he is told to write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. Okay? So he, he, he is told that he is to write the things that have been in the past, that are in the present, and that are in the future. Now, this is where a lot of people get confused in dividing the book of Revelation. And if you'll listen to this right now, this will make it all come together in your mind what is taking place in this book. Okay? The, the way that people get themselves messed up is they know that when John wrote the Revelation, when he wrote this book of the Bible by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they recognize the fact that it was on the Isle of Patmos around 90 A.D. or so. They know that what he was supposed to be writing, verse 19, are those things in the past and in the present and in the future and you see, the reason they get themselves messed up is because they try to, to figure all of this in the past, in those three tenses, the past, the present, and the future, from the standpoint of somebody who is writing in 90 A.D. You say, now, wait, 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 just a minute. You just told us that John wrote the Revelation in 90 A.D. He's supposed to write about the things in the past, in the present, and in the future, and now you're telling me I'm going to get myself messed up if I begin to try to understand this book from the standpoint of somebody writing in 90 A.D., yes. Now, that's not my own little concoction. You see, you've got to be a careful workman who studies the Word of God. Look, if you will, at verse 10. If God's going to give you, He's going to give you a clue here. He's going to let you see something that if you'll put this all together with all of it, it, it all comes together. It all makes sense. But look, look at verse 10. He says, I was in the Spirit. Now, let's just let's get our bearings here. Every Christian who is a believer in Jesus Christ is in the Holy Spirit. And every believer in Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit in them. Okay? So what's what's he saying here? I was in the Spirit. And notice what he says on the Lord's day. Now, we hear that, and we automatically, because of our humanness now, not because of the Bible, but because of our humanness, when we hear the Lord's Day, what we automatically think is we think of Sunday, the the first day of the week, and all, all of that kind of thing. But did you know that the Bible, nowhere from beginning to end, ever refers to Sunday as the Lord's Day? But the Bible does have a whole lot to say about the Lord's Day The Lord's Day is the day of the Lord. It is the day of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, let me me explain something to you here. The day of the Lord, as you begin to compare Scripture with Scripture, you begin to study, you begin to become a workman in the Word of God, what you begin to find out is the day of the Lord, in a technical sense, In the very strictest sense, the day of the Lord is that day when heaven opens, Jesus Christ comes out of heaven and comes to this planet, and his foot comes to the Mount of Olives, and he begins to set up his kingdom on the earth. In the strictest sense, in a technical sense, that is the day of the Lord. But as you begin to compare Scripture with Scripture, what you find is there is also a general sense concerning the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord picks up immediately after the rapture of the church and includes the tribulation period, all of the tribulation period, up and to the second coming of Jesus Christ. That is the day of the Lord. Okay. Now what John says here is that when he receives this revelation, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And what he is saying here is that the Spirit of God had moved him forward in time to the day of the Lord. Okay, Here, here is John, and he, he lives back here in 90 A.D. Okay? What God does is he catapults him forward in time to the day of the Lord. Okay, And from the standpoint, this is letter F on your outline, from the standpoint of the Lord's day, this divides the book of Revelation this way. Revelation chapter 1 through three is the things that he said he has seen. This is the past. This is the church age, okay? Revelation chapter 4 through 19, it is the present. You see he's catapulted in time to the Lord's day. This is the present. All of these chapters are the, the, the present tense. And what's interesting? is as you come through chapters 4 through 19 in the book of Revelation, what you'll find is that he brings you four times through the tribulation period with each one of them culminating with the second coming of Christ, and he brings you through that four times, four times he brings you through the second coming of Jesus Christ. You know why he brings you through four times? Because the Bible is consistent. He brought you through four times through the first coming of Jesus Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And because he's consistent, because he's God, he brings you four times through the second coming of Christ. But understand, this is the present tense in which John was writing. The church age was in the past. And you see what's interesting is in chapters 1, 2, and 3 in the book of Revelation, the word church is found 18 times in the book. 18 times in those three chapters. And then you come to Revelation chapter 4, 1, and it says, after this, after what? After the church age, I was caught up. Here's the rapture. And you know what? From this verse all the way through to the end of the book, the church is not found anywhere in the book of Revelation. If you want to know why we believe in a pre- tribulation rapture man it doesn't get any more basic any more simple than that man the church is gone at this point in the book of revelation he brings you through four times this is the, the present tense and then in chapters 20 to 22 this is from the pre, from the standpoint of the day of the lord now what would be in the future is the millennium which is chapter 20 of the book of revelation the new heaven and the new earth which is chapter 21, and then chapter 22 is eternity. Those are the events that would be in the future uh, from the millennium, and oh, for your study sheet, from the millennium on into the on to, into eternity. If I didn't give you number two, it's the tribulation to the second coming with Revelation chapters 4 through 19. Now, so here's what here, here's what we've done. The Bible says that we need to study to show ourselves to prove unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We don't want to go. We don't want to make our own, our own uh, divisions in that thing. And so we want God to be able to do that for us. And so we've studied the book of Revelation. We found there's two significant events that take place. Somebody goes up here with heaven opening. Somebody comes down over here with heaven opening. It divides it into three sections. And John is told in chapter nine or chapter one and verse nineteen. That he is going to receive the revelation in three tenses the past present and the future and you can see right here that that is the breakdown that god is giving to us to rightly divide the word of truth and you'll notice also look at verse four now what we're talking about here in revelation chapter one and verse one is that this book is all about the revelation of jesus christ now you see if it's going to be the revelation of jesus christ then it's going to have to be in these three sections because if you'll notice in verse 4 of chapter 1, Christ is he which was, Christ is he which is, and Christ is he which is to come. Now, I took my watch off. What time you got? Wow. The, The biggest question that is in the mind of, I'm sure, every person in this room, is how close are we to these events that we're talking about? We're, we're presently living, folks, in this period of time right here. The next event on God's prophetic calendar is the event that takes place in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, the rapture of the church. Now, what he does in chapters 2 and 3 in the book of Revelation, is he writes seven letters to seven churches. I I, I wanted to be able to get into a a, a thing where I I show you how God counts. We won't take the time to do that today. But when God counts, he counts by sevens. He counts by sevens. And it backs you up all the way to the book of Genesis, chapters 1 and chapters 2, to where God begins to show you that he counts by sevens. And what you'll find is there were seven days... In that first week and then a new week starts six days of work and then a day of rest and from there you go from not just god counting by seven days but counting by seven weeks and then not just seven weeks but seven months and not just seven months but seven weeks of years in other words seven times seven forty nine and then what you'll find is that god counts not only in terms of of seven days, seven weeks, seven months, seven weeks of years, but seven millenniums. And when he goes through the book of Revelation, what he does is he shows you that there are, in chapters 2 and 3, during the church age, that there are seven periods of church history represented by the seven letters to the seven churches. If you guys would flip those over real quick, hold them up. There are seven churches that are found... In this, this book letter addressed to the church at Ephesus will show you how when he gives you that letter to the church at Ephesus, what he is doing is he is outlining for you. he is outlining for you a period of history, the first period of church history that picks up where the book of Acts leaves off. It's a period of time that covers from 90 AD to 200 AD. The next period is the Smyrna period from 200. To 325 and we, again with the events that he spells out in those letters it is obvious by what took place in history where you are as far as the dating we'll show you that in detail when we come to those chapters next is the pergamos period from 325 the council of nicaea up into the beginning of the dark ages in 500 next is thyatira from 500 to 1000 the, the midway point in the dark ages and then sardis From 1000 A.D. to around 1500, the beginning of the Reformation. Then the Philadelphian church period from 1500 to around 1900. This was the greatest period of missions in all of the world. It is the church of the open door. It is when the Bible hit this planet and began to go all over the world, reaching people with the gospel. That period of time from approximately 1500 to 1900. And then the seventh period. Of church history the last letter in in the book of Revelation chapter 3 is a letter to the church at Laodicea Laodicea it picked up around 1900 and it is going to conclude this last period is going to conclude with the rapture of the church we are presently living in that last period strangely enough all of these names of these churches They're very significant. What they do is just by the very name, the meaning of those names represents in a one-word capsule what was taking place during that period of history. You know what the name Laodicea means? It means civil rights. That's weird, isn't it? Here we are, and what has been the in these last days of the church age, what is it that man's crying out for? Civil rights. Civil rights. Rights for women. Rights for gays. Rights for, you know, the whales. Rights for everything other than what makes sense. Man wants his way. And God says, let me take you through the history of the church in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And folks, listen. We are right now at the very very last part of the last period of church history. And what is interesting, uh, guys, why don't you go ahead and have a seat. Thank you very much for helping me. You know, what's what's interesting is that people can begin to see the book of Revelation unfold. They can begin to understand some of the things that are in this book, and they can can be intrigued by all of it. And yet, with many of them, It doesn't culminate with them having the response that God is wanting them to have, and and I want to show you just one final thing in in the the book of Revelation. Remember, I I was I was showing you that from Revelation chapter four to chapter nineteen that He brings you through the tribulation period four times, and I want to just show you something here in Revelation chapter six. This is the first time that He's bringing you through the through the tribulation period. And He's coming down to the end of the tribulation period. And watch what the people on this planet are saying. And they said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of Him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? You know what? They're they're not calling out to God in repentance. They want the rocks to fall on them. Oh, we, we want this all to be over. Go over to chapter nine, and again he, he's he's bringing you through, and he's showing you all of these incredible calamities and all of these things that are beginning to take place as God is pouring out His judgment on this planet. And, and, and look in verse uh, verse nine. You 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 just you can determine whether this is a demonic creature or or what it is. Look at verse. And they had breastplates as it were, breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions. And there were stings in their tails. And their power was to hurt men five months. Now you can look at that and say, wow, that's good. It sounds like some kind of a weird creature. Or it well could be that here is John, who is writing in 90 A.D., looking at things that are taking place in the last days of the 20th century, and not having words to describe airplanes and various things. Look at it again. Breastplates of iron, the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots, of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Maybe he is describing here uh, automatic weaponry and things that are coming out of the back of plane. It could be, could be demonic, whatever it is. It took place and will take place in, in the, it took place in the revelation that he saw it is going to take place on this planet. And look at verse 21. With all of these things that are going on, neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. All of these things taking place. But no repentance. Go to chapter 16. And again, he's just bringing you through all of the wrath as it's being poured out on the, this planet. And verse 10 and the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast and the kingdom his kingdom was full of darkness and they gnawed their tongues for pain. This is the people on this planet. And blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores and repented not of their deeds. Here they are having the judgment of God poured out on them. And rather than call on His name in repentance, they blaspheme His name. Look at verse 21 of this same chapter, chapter 16. There fell upon men... A great hail out of heaven. Every stone about the weight of a talent. About a hundred pound hailstones are fallen out of heaven. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail. For the plague thereof was exceeding great. You know what? There's some of you folks that are here and you're, you're thinking to yourself, yeah man, I, I, I believe all of these things. I believe all this stuff about the, 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 the book of Revelation. And you're telling yourself somewhere in your mind, one of these days I am going to do what the Bible says I must do, and I'm going to call upon the name of Jesus Christ to save me. And I'm going to be saved one of these days, one of these days, one of these days. And folks, listen, if you will not respond to the call of God to save your soul right now in light of the revelation of His Word and His grace to you, I promise you, Once the rapture takes place, the things that I've just read will be fulfilled through you. Oh, no, uh, now that I've learned all this stuff about what's going to take place, I'll call on the name of the Lord. The Bible says, no, you'll be sent strong delusions so that you'll believe the lie of the Antichrist and with all of the judgment taking place upon you, you will not call upon the name of the Lord. Folks, if you're going to call upon the name of the Lord, call upon Him as He is revealing Himself to you through His Word now. The Bible says today, if you'll hear His voice, harden not your heart. The Bible says now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. I I don't know where you are, I don't know what you believe, I don't know what your past is all about, but I want to say this to you. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, We are living in the very last days. You'll see that as we continue through this this study. It will be so clear. You'll understand exactly the time period that we're living in right now. You'll understand just how close these events are that we've been talking about this morning. But if the Spirit of God is speaking to you today, we want to encourage you to respond to His voice. And again, if the Spirit of God has spoken to you about that today, we urge you to respond now while the Spirit of God is dealing with you, that you might call upon the name of the Lord in repentance while there's still time. Let's stand together with our heads bowed. Father, we thank You this morning for the Word of God that You have given to us to reveal Yourself to us. I pray this morning that as we have compared Scripture with Scripture, as we have sought to study this book and from just a kind of a, a big-picture standpoint, I pray that You will, even now, take the truth of these things to the hearts of these precious folks who have come here today. I, I know that there must be people here today who have never called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save them. And Lord, we pray that You by Your Spirit would convict of sin and of righteousness and judgment to come that You, Father, would draw them even even now to Yourself that before these horrendous events begin to take place that they might be saved and become a part of Your family Your people that they might be caught away to ever be with You for eternity. We pray that For those of us who are saved, that these things that we have talked about and how soon they are on the horizon, we pray, Father, that it might put an urgency inside of us that might cause us to do all that we can do to get this message to people who have never heard. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.